The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your new or existing home is one of your most important assets, yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. Hey, that's my cue. That right? is your cue. Yep. Hello, everyone out there. I'm trying to, I'm very disorganized today. This is Deb Tomorrow. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. Um, I am your host, and I am a little confused today. I'm just being pulled in a million different directions, and I'm not complaining. I'm just like trying to get my head in the game. I need to take a couple of deep breaths and, and focus. I had, uh, I'm telling Karen a story here. She's looking at me like, oh gosh, what's coming now? I had a little uh, concern with my car right before the show. So I didn't get kind of my last minute show prep where I go over all my uh, notes and everything. And uh, my oil light's been coming on and beeping loudly. And usually I can turn the radio up and it fixes the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not a great idea, but that's what I do. Uh, or I turn the car off and turn it back on and it goes away. And that wasn't happening this time, so I thought, I probably need to check my oil. 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 I don't know how to do that. You you don't know how to check your oil? No. Okay. I can show you after the show. Well, no, I figured it out, and I'm very proud of myself. And see, there's some oil on my finger right there. That's proof. Okay. I took a picture. I need to probably Instagram that. I don't know. It looks like mascara, but no, okay. Well, it could be. But I figured it out, but it was very confusing because first I had to figure out how to open the hood. I know I sound pathetic here. I'm really a very smart girl, but this is just not something in my wheelhouse. Uh, so I usually just find people to go do this for me. So I opened the hood, got the thing to stand up, and then looked around for quite some time for the... Because everything's sort of nice and closed up these days. Right. I haven't, I guess, looked at an engine in a long time. Anyways, I find this cap... Looks like it has a little picture of an oil thing on it. Genie lamp, right? Yeah. So I unscrew it, and there's no dipstick. And I'm a little old school, so my day, the dipstick was attached to the cap. Yeah, no, not. Also got distracted by the fact that there's a bunch of feathers inside my engine. That's interesting. A little bit, yeah. I I was trying not to think about it too much. Kind of wrapped around in some of the hoses and stuff. I'm like, I don't know what happened there. So anyways, I found this yellow thing that looked like it's you know, was screaming to be pulled out. Okay. And so I tugged on it and it wouldn't come out. So anyways, I had to mess with that for a while. And then I did have my paper towels at the ready to wipe off the okay. dipstick. Um, so I wiped off the dipstick, put it back in, right? Yeah. And then I didn't know what to do from there. When you pulled it back out, did it have oil on it? Oh, there was some, but whether it was at the right level or not, I had no. There should be a line on it. Yeah, not so much. Okay. Yeah, you need to take your... German engineering. Take- so I, I, I texted our friend EJ at Meineke. I said, yeah, I know I'm scheduled for an oil change on Thursday, but 
could you top me off right now? He's like, sure, come on in. So this is my shout out to the guys at Meineke, especially EJ for letting me come by really quick and uh, top Did off my oil. Did you have none in there? No, he said it was a quart low. I don't know what that means. You were one quart low. <laughs> well, I know, but I mean, how many, how many quarts are typically in there? I don't know. Maybe you have four. Okay. I, I just don't know these things. Okay. That's not bad. That's I better know. than being, you've got one quart left and, you know. I, I think this whole year I've kind of felt one quart low. Okay. But uh, that's not to say that I'm an idiot because I know more about real estate than most people. And that's why we're here. That's but true. I did tell EJ I was going to give him a shout out. Um, they, you know, I don't know if you know this or not. There was a, a benefit, non, uh, you know, My Sister's Closet, which is a great local nonprofit group. And they put on an event last April that I actually sponsored. It's called What You Auto Know. Yeah, Auto I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully they will do that again, and I will sponsor them yet again. Uh, Meineke was a great sponsor with them, a partner with them on that um, program, but it teaches women things that they ought to know about their car, and I should know these things, but I don't. So thank you for having Meineke in my life. Last week we said, oh, I need to introduce you. This is Karen I'm talking to. Hello, world. Hi. Say hi. hi. Uh, Karen is the best name lender in the state of Indiana, and she is here to provide a lender perspective as well as a human perspective. Keep me in line and kick me under the table when need be. Uh, we're actually going to talk today about deal or disaster. So last week's show, we talked about, um, is it too good to be true? It probably if, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And one of the things that was on my list to talk about were foreclosed properties and short sales and distressed properties, those kinds of things. Um, but as usual, the show went a little long, and uh, I really have a lot to say about <laughs> distressed properties uh, and whether they are good deals or whether they are disasters. So we've decided to just parlay that into a whole set of shows. So today we're going to talk about short sales. Very exciting. And then next week, we'll talk about foreclosures and kind of what you need to know about that. But before we get to that, I promised last week we were going to do some research on this Pokemon thing. You're doing it again. I'm going to do it, I think. Okay. It's, it's Pokemon, but yeah, are you playing it? No. Okay. But I need to. It's Pokemon. Now, Rachel, associate producer, face of an angel, voice of a sailor, so we can't let her be near the mic, calls it Pokegrab. I don't know why. I don't know what she's like grabbing. She's running around. Are you on it though? Do you do it? No? Have you done it, Karen? No, I haven't. Have your kids? No. So no. Okay, so we are a completely clueless world. So I don't even know what we're going to talk about. But I was doing some research because there is talk now about, you know, like everything new and exciting. Can you use this to your benefit in real estate? So I thought this was kind of interesting. Pokemon is generating about $1.2 million a day in revenue just on like well the app's free that's insane but apparently there are things that you can buy balls and i'm not sure when my older my oldest son who's going to be 20 in a couple months he was into pokemon when he was a toddler right right. so it was yeah like comforters all the pokeballs all that stuff the movies (laughs) we have since you know package that stuff up and giving it away right. so and he's not you probably should hold on to it could have paid for the last three years of college for I, him. Should, <laughs> I should have so people are looking at you know how can this pokemon uh, help me sell homes what's going on with it there was a really interesting article that i think rachel will probably put up for you um and i need to read it in more detail it has a lot of big words in it um 
And I just am not in a big word frame of mind right now. But who owns the virtual space around your home? I think you were telling, were you telling me a story last week about the guy in the church that lives in the church? No, that wasn't me. I was telling you that there was a guy, a realtor who uh, someone had snapped a shot because there was a Pokemon in front of one of his for sale signs at his listing. Yes. And so that's one of the ways people are saying you can use the Pokemon to help you sell the house is using some of the terminology, which I obviously need to learn, Um, you know, how many that this Property is conveniently located between two Pokemon gyms and has eight Poke stops. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah. Within you know a certain distance. I don't know what any of that stuff means. Gosh, but there's like more usage. There's more people using Pokemon Go than like Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff. I just think the whole thing is crazy. I did see some kids in my neighborhood doing it, but at least they stopped at the. At the intersection, yeah. instead of just like aimlessly walking, wandering around. through, mm-hmm. yeah, because I've seen that people have been suffering from car crashes, and I saw another article they were talking about the sunburns that people were suffering, <laughs> which I thought was silly. Yeah, no, um, do you know Jim Inman? No, he's I a don't. local here in town, and he does a Bloomington review on Friday nights, uh, and then I think it's replayed on Saturdays. There's Friday nights, yeah, um, radio show on WGCL, and uh, he was talking about how he was outside doing some work on his house, and his neighbor like wandered over, and he just kept saying, "There's one over here. There's one over here." And Jim was like, "What the heck are you talking about?" And there was one in his backyard, which then also brings up the question of, you know, do you own that virtual space around your home, and? you know, what is appropriate for people, you know, to think about coming onto your property. Apparently, churches are uh, a popular location. So as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong out there, people. Um, it's the people who isn't, I don't know who the company is that puts out the Pokemon game, who wrote the game. She's going to laugh at me every time I say Pokemon, which is just going to make me say Pokemon all the more often. I have a straight face. Okay. So they're the ones who designate where the balls and the stops and the gyms and all these things are that people are looking for. Um, Because I was like, well, maybe I can put some things at my listings and it'll make people go to my listings. But I don't think I have that power to put things at my listings. Anyways, they designate churches a lot as Poke Gyms. And there are some people who live in converted churches that the systems don't know about. So people are like looking through windows and, you know, getting really creepy on that. That's interesting because we know someone that lives in a converted church. We do. We should ask her if people are hovering around her house. (laughs) She probably would like it. Um, So anyways, yeah, that's, there's an interesting article here about who owns a virtual space. And, you know, the argument started ages ago before Pokemon ever came into existence with, you know, who owns the airspace over your home? You know, there's planes flying over there, and basically they stay up to a certain height. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting kind of, you know. Anyways, that's what we know about Pokemon, which is absolutely nothing of value. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so if there are listeners out there who know We more, haven't helped you at all. No, but they can educate us. Yes, I would encourage people to go on to Facebook, Deb Tomorrow Realtor, and perhaps comment and give us some suggestions on how to use this to better help sell houses because um, I have no clue. It, I, I kind of sounds fun. Uh, I've been on, you know, last week we talked a little about cruises and uh, I have a cruise coming up and uh, there have been some people having discussions about, it's, are they out at sea? 
I don't know, but someone could literally like walk off the boat. They probably could. <laughs> you know. But I don't think there are. They said there weren't any out okay. at sea. So they're not on the cruise ship. So you're kind of out of luck with that. I had a couple other quick things before we go to our first break. Some housekeeping things I wanted to take care of uh, as I was trying to catch up. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Love It or List It, mm-hmm. one of our favorite HGTV shows. Not really. Not really. It's not really. (laughs) Um, But we had asked how many people love it versus how many people list it and what that proportion was. And Karen found the answer for us. And I meant to share that last week and I forgot. So the answer is, Karen, do you want to reveal the results? 85 uh, 85 people loved it and uh, 60 people decided to list it. Those were like the most recent stats I could find. I think that was through 2015. Wikipedia. Yeah. So 58 almost 59% to about 41%. So more, more people, which I thought was interesting because gosh, you know, after you, a lot of times you see a new home and you just kind of get excited and then. Yeah, I, you know. I would definitely list it. Right. Would you? I would. I know. Uh, the other thing I wanted to catch up on because, you know, we want honest honest reporting here at realrealestatetoday.com was that a few months ago we reported that Jonathan Scott, one of the property brothers, uh, got into a tussle at a bar in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, was in some right. legal, you know, hot water there. And, and I just wanted to let everyone know he is not going to be charged. Oh, I can that. sleep better now. Right. So <laughs> I just felt like I had a little bit of an obligation to do that. So, all right. How about we get on topic? That sounds great. Okay, we're going to do that when we come back from break. We're going to talk about deal or disaster, buying a short sale, what you need to know, and how you need to protect yourself. So stick with us. We will be right back. We are listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Thanks for sticking around. Today we are talking about deal or disaster distressed properties. I am your host, Deb Tomorrow. I'm a licensed realtor in the state of Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana. Beautiful day. We're going to try and stay on topic and not get uh, distracted by the blue sky. Since we've had a lot of rain lately, I was without power for 23 hours one day last week. It's awesome. Okay, so last week we talked about things that are too good to be true, and they are too good to be true. Uh, We didn't get to to distressed properties, though, and so that is what we are going to get started on today. And by distressed properties, Karen, what do you think of when I say distressed property? I think of missing kitchens, uh, like holes in the roof, no gutters. So physical distress. Yes. Yes, which is one definition of it. But I also want to encourage people to think that there are, to understand that there is another kind of distress, which is financial distress. Oh, yeah. See, I don't think that way. Yeah, most people don't. So that's what we're really talking about today. Definitely short sales and foreclosures can be homes that have significant condition issues, habitability issues, but not necessarily. Sometimes they can be pretty much move-in ready, but distressed in other ways. I have a lot of people who contact me. I don't know if you've ever run into anybody like this, Karen, who says, I want to buy a short sale. Every now and then. Like someone has told them that that's the best deal out there and they they have to buy a short sale. Absolutely, because the price is so low and the house is worth, you know, five times as much and you have to go and do this. Right, I blame HGTV. Possibly. Or Zillow, since I blame everything on Zillow. Uh, And short sales can be a really good deal, but there's a lot to it and it's certainly not for the faint of heart. Uh, Between the condition issues and the no end in sight that's potential in terms of the timeline, while you can possibly achieve a good deal as a buyer, uh, and it may be an out to an extremely stressful situation for a seller, the question is, what price do you pay? Because I've had clients who've tried to buy short sales and end up sleeping on someone's couch for six months, waiting for the short sale to be approved. Sure. And at the end of the day, maybe it's not approved. Maybe it wasn't worth it at all. So today we're going to focus on the mystery of the short sale, what it means and how it works and what the pros and cons are. Uh, And then, like I said, next week we're going to focus on foreclosures. But I did want to share some data. This is only through 2014. I assume that the calculators are still running to uh, compile data for 2015. Um, And the reason I wanted to bring this up is that when you Google short sales or when you start to look at short sales or when you're talking to people who are giving you advice who aren't necessarily realtors, about short sales, it's important to understand that the scenery in terms of distressed properties, short sales foreclosures, has changed over the past seven years. Um, And for example, um, uh, foreclosures in 2010, there was about 785,000 owner-occupied foreclosures and another 285,000 non-owner-occupied, so like rental properties, over a million foreclosures in 2010. That's a lot. Isn't that that mind-blowing? In 2014, there was 327,000. So a lot less. So what I get a lot of times is people coming to me saying, well, so-and-so, you know, my friend or relative or whoever bought a short sale several years ago. And they said, that's what I need to buy too. And they may have bought it at the height when there were a lot more. 
Sure. So that's something to think about. We don't have a lot of short sales in this market, and certainly other markets have a lot more. It's been interesting doing some of the research for this show because I was reading some uh, things from 2010, and there were home buyers sort of commiserating on a website, you know, saying, here's my story. It's taken me, you know, three months. It's taken me four months, whatever. And they said, but there's nothing but short sales in our neighborhood. In the neighborhood they want to be in. Well, and that was right after everything was going on in 2008. But that's just, that number is astronomical. It's crazy. Now, short sales. So I was talking about foreclosures there. Short sales. uh, In 2010, there was about 354,000. And in 2014, there were 108,000. So, again, it's gone down a lot. But you'll also see that short sales, there's a lot fewer then there are foreclosures, and we're going to talk a little bit about that's counterintuitive, which is pretty much how everything goes. You'd think, well, short sale, that kind of makes sense. Why wouldn't everyone want to do that? You know, minimize your losses, that kind of thing. But when it comes to logic and these distressed properties, I, I don't mean to bash lenders. I know Karen's sitting right in front of me, but it's a different department that handles these properties. So basically, what is a short sale? The simple answer is that when the listing price for the home isn't enough to pay off the mortgage, then the seller would come to closing short. They don't have enough to pay off their mortgage. So if your house is worth less than the mortgage payment, that's what happened to a lot of people. We went through this real estate boom. um, Home prices went way skyrocketing high. People bought, but then the prices dropped and they were upside down on their house. Did we have that much around here? I don't think we did in our market. I think we saw it a lot on the West Coast, Vegas, uh, Southern California, for sure. Uh, This was extremely prevalent, prevalent, like we were saying, in 2010, but it has been declining. Um, There are fewer out there, but unfortunately, the process hasn't gotten any easier either. There's been a lot of discussion when we were sort of at the height of all of these foreclosures and short sales about how we could improve the process and trying to get the federal government involved to help improve the process. There were a lot of homes sitting out there just deteriorating. The sellers had walked away. And the uh, I, I you heard stories of, um, oh, I should look these up for next week's show, foreclosures down in Florida taking years. Years. And then there were robo-signing scandals. And so the foreclosures kind of had to start over again. And it was just crazy. Um, But the bust of the housing prices was definitely a big part of what created it, created all the short sales. And then also the ease of getting second mortgages. Now, you weren't in the mortgage business when all that crazy subprime stuff was going on, right? No, I got in after that. (laughs) Okay, lucky you. I think I got into real estate at the tail end of it. So I saw a little bit of it when I first started, but I think I was so um, naive (laughs) in terms of everything. I was just kind of like, I don't know, sounds good to me. Uh, You always tell the story about when I bought my house and it was one of these that there was a lot of interest in the house. I hadn't even thought about moving down to Bloomington, had a place and a job up in Indianapolis. Uh, We went to a lender and we said, what do we need to do to get in this house? He said, oh, I have a great loan for you. It's called a stated income. I said, what does that mean? This was in 2007, I think. I said, what does that mean? He goes, you just state what your income is and I believe you. (laughs) I said, sounds good to me. I said, well, here's what my income is. He goes, yeah, that's not quite enough. I was like, okay, what do you need me to state? And he was like, a little bit more. And so we kind of played the higher, 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 you know, game until we stated the right amount of income. It was an adjustable rate. I don't know what it was. I mean, I think it was a pretty decent rate. It wasn't anything. Uh, And luckily, you know, we knew what we were doing to the extent that we were very 
focused and clear that we needed to refinance this loan in three years. Right. Where the adjusted. interest rate was going to, you know, before it adjusted. And we did. And so we're fine. We're in a 30-year fix now. Uh, I certainly would not recommend that to anyone. But in retrospect, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Someone was like, yeah, here, this is what you need to do. Okay. And that you just kind of That was a very popular loan back yeah. then. The, the, the no state, you know, stated, stated income, income, no, no doc. No, no doc loans, no documents. Yeah. yeah. And um, you saw a lot with self-employed borrowers who do a lot of uh, tax write-off. So... For them to be able to obtain financing that way, yeah, um, we don't use we don't have those anymore. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> some of the other good ones were um, ease of getting second mortgages. Um, one of the um, one of the uh, short sales that I was involved with, and I'm going to tell the story a little bit later, was uh, a way to buy a house with no money down, an eighty twenty. And I don't know if they still do those or not. I've heard, but I'm not crazy about them. So you get a first mortgage for 80% of the loan, and then you get a second loan for 20% of the loan. And so that's how you bought the house with no money down, but you had two mortgages on it. I had some clients in the past who their second mortgage was at like 13%, something crazy high like that. There are still some investors. Um, they they no longer have the uh, second mortgage as at a 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, you may see 10% okay. or maybe 15%, okay. but yeah. it's to avoid the PMI on the first. Right, and you just get into a situation where you can't. Uh, the story that I'm going to tell basically was that the family got, uh, the husband and wife were divorcing, and they had only been in the house for less than a year, so they didn't have enough equity because they didn't put anything down. Uh-huh. Uh, when you tack on their closing costs, uh, they just were upside down on the house. Um, there were interest-only mortgages, so you were just paying the interest. You weren't paying any equity down. And again, you get in the same situation where the house isn't appreciating fast enough um, so that if you did need to sell, you couldn't. Um, name your own payment mortgages. Did you hear those? No, I yeah. didn't. Name your own payment. What do you want your payment to be? I want my payment to be $800 a month. Okay, great. What happens is that that's not enough to cover the principal, but nor is it enough to cover all of the interest. So the interest gets tacked back on and it's what's called negative amortization. So your loan balance is actually going up. So that can make you upside down in the house as well. People can keep up with the payments, plus people, you know, lost jobs. That's sort of the typical, you know, thing that's happening. Um, And so all of those things kind of join together to create all of these short sales going out there where people are upside down. For a seller, a short sale is not an easy solution. It's not an easy out. Um, Karen, how does that impact your ability to buy a house again? Um, A short sale is typically viewed same as a foreclosure, which is something different. But um, certain loan programs require someone to be three years, four years, or even seven years out from the date that the deed was transferred out of that homeowner's name and over into the Okay. Bank's name or the share of sale or however. Yeah. So it's something as sellers, I think you need to take really, really seriously. Typically, you have to be behind on your payments, a certain number of payments behind. The bank wants to see that you are in distress, <laughs> financial distress. Um, and that's how the house becomes in financial distress. Uh, that you're perhaps on track to be foreclosed on. Um, that 
sometimes I've seen short sales, it's because their house has a condition issue that you don't have the funds to fix. Say the septic's bad, and that's a $20,000 repair, and you don't have $20,000, and the house is going to be condemned. You just kind of have to sell it for what you can get for it and ask your lender to forgive that difference. Um, If you're broke, if you have no money, no other assets, those are sort of requirements to being in a short sale. The lender is going to ask you to document your financial status. Um, Think about it. Um, you know, why should the, the here's how the bank's perspective, why should they take a loss if you've got money sitting in the bank? Right. Or if you own, I've had clients who maybe own a piece of land jointly with some family members that they inherited and they want to do a short sale, but they can't because they have an asset. Mm-hmm. And the bank's going to look at that and say, well, you need to sell that piece of land to raise the money to pay off your mortgage kind of thing. So you've got to be in a pretty bad scenario yourself as the seller in order to um, to do a short sale. So we're going to talk about the steps to go through uh, in terms of a short sale. It's good for li- sellers to understand what the steps are, but it's good for buyers to listen to this segment coming up as well because it'll help you understand why the process is not simple and easy because there's a lot of steps to it. So we are going to take another break and we will be right back. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to the Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com. That's Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Thanks for coming back. We are talking today about deal or disaster part one short sales. And there is a lot of information and short sales are such a mystery to people. So uh, Rachel's going to be posting a lot of this uh, links to a lot of good information on my Facebook, which is Deb Tomorrow Realtor. I definitely encourage you to go there and ask me questions if I am explaining something that doesn't make sense, or you can always email me at deb at realrealestatetoday.com. I'm happy to try and explain anything to you. I think I sound pretty negative about short sales. They can be a, a decent opportunity. I have in my lifetime bought two short sales that I still own, um, but it was a little bit of a different circumstance where I kind of swooped in at the end after everything was done and buyers disappeared and the house was just sitting there waiting to be bought by someone at a great deal. So uh, there are some options like that. So what are the steps involved in a short sale? There's a great article uh, that Rachel's going to put up on a website called Expert Beacon and they go through and list all of the steps. One thing I want to say, let me start off by saying this. So let me back up a little bit. When a property is advertised as a short sale, That may just be what the seller is hoping for. The seller has to be approved for a short sale. And then the offer, when they get an offer on the property, they have that also has to be approved for a short sale. So the seller in their financial distress situation has to be approved by the bank. And they have to submit all kinds of documentation proving that the seller is in financial distress. Oftentimes, when a house goes on the market, the seller has not yet been approved for a short sale. So they are listing it at rock bottom price, hoping that the lender is going to approve a short sale, but we don't know. Does that make sense? It does. But I guess if I was a realtor, would you not want to know before you listed a house? Yes. Would you not want that homeowner to see if if their lender would allow them to to be approved for a short sale? Right. Remember what I said at the beginning of the show that there's going to be a lot of things that would seem logical to us. <laughs> And this is one of them. Um, Typically, in my experience, the lender won't even start that process of considering until you have an offer to bring them. Hmm. Yeah. Because that makes a lot of sense, too. Right. And and it's tricky. As a realtor, you know, I've only listed a couple of short sales. Um, One actually didn't start out as a short sale, but the guy died, and so it ended up as a short sale. Um, So... It's, there are some realtors out there who have a little bit more education about short sales. If you think you need to do short sale, I would strongly encourage you. You can log on to my website and ask me for my help, and I will help you find someone who is certified to do short sales. I think that makes a huge difference. The short sales that I have worked on on the listing side, I've always had attorneys involved um, helping as well. And that's typically because it was because of a divorce or an estate or something like that. Um, but that makes a big difference uh, as well. Because, you know, it doesn't make sense. You'd think you'd want to get as much legwork done as possible. Or even if if the homeowner says, I've talked to my bank and they have said, you know, bring me an offer and then we'll see. Even something like that. And a lot of times they've had that conversation. So let's go through the the steps. So the first step, according to these people, and I think this is all very fair and accurate, is to contact your lender. If you're behind on your payments, but you know that you can't get out of it what you need to pay off your mortgage if you were selling Contact your lender, ask for the loss mitigation department, um, and then have all your mortgage information ready. Then what you're going to want to do is request that the lender's authorization form, because at this point you'll want to have your realtor involved in the process, and the realtor's not allowed to talk to 
the your lender unless you've authorized it and there's a form you have to fill out. You're going to ask your lender for the short sale package and you're going to start working on that package, but typically that package doesn't even get turned in until there's an offer. If you turn it in early, typically the lenders will say, eh, we don't want to waste our time until we know you're serious, which means bring us an offer. This short sale package typically includes a hardship letter, which is like a one-page letter explaining why you're um, requesting the short sale. A lot of times it is a, a death or a divorce. It could be um, you know, something major medical that happened, and so you've got medical bills that are drowning you or things like that, um, loss of jobs. They'll have a financial worksheet that they'll want you to fill out uh, that's going to list your assets and your income and your expenses. A lot of them kind of make you write out a budget because they really want to know that you can't either A, can't afford it or can't afford to get caught up. They'll want to see two months of pay stubs. They'll want to see two years of tax returns, just like uh, when you were getting the mortgage. Copies of checking, savings, investment account statements. Even if you have a 401k, that's going to count as uh, an asset as well. So there's a lot of work to do on the seller side of things. And I think that's where a lot of sellers get bogged down. Um, I have a lot of people who say to me, well, why don't, why don't they just do a short sale? You know, there's a house and maybe we know it's on route to being foreclosed on. Well, why don't they just do a short sale? You know what? A lot of people at that point in time have sort of mentally checked out and said, I, you know, because this isn't the beginning. There were things going on in your life mm-hmm. as the seller that have gotten you to this point and probably stressful things, whether it's divorce or death or illness or whatever, job loss. And so by the time you get to this point, you may just be like, I can't take anymore. And I don't want to, you know, it's like a huge homework assignment that you have to put together this package and try and plead your case. And you don't feel good about it. You know, your pride takes a hit for sure. So, you know, I'm trying to be a little sensitive to that. Um, Once you have that package together, then you and uh, your agent are going to sign a regular listing agreement and put the house on the market just like you would in the traditional sense. Uh, You're going to price it. We typically price it low. And in fact, you know, I've had times where it's like, let's just price it so that we get an offer because here's the thing the price doesn't matter right because the the bank may say we're not going to accept that price exactly so what you're trying to do is find a price that will get some offers in or get an offer uh, on the table so then you can get all your package together uh, and submit that to the uh, to your lender so that completed short sale package once you have the offer um and then what's going to happen is that your lender is going or your realtor or yourself or your attorney, whoever is involved, is going to check in with the loss mitigation department about mm, weekly oh, uh, f- for about mm, six months. <laughs> Some of them are shorter, but um, to just check on the process. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, too, is as the loss mitigation department is reviewing your short sale, At the same time, you may also have another department reviewing your file as a foreclosure. And I've seen this before. I remember one, gosh, this was years ago. And, um, but I can tell you where the house is. Uh, And they were like, we were trying to get an offer in before it went up for sheriff sale. Like sheriff auction was at like nine o'clock. Oh my gosh. And we turned an offer in at 845 (laughs) and we didn't make it. By the time they got it to the um, loss mitigation department, because it was a short sale, to sign off on it, the word didn't get back to the share sale until it already sold. It was just too tight. So you're you're also having that pressure as well that you've got two competing tracks, the short sale track and then the foreclosure track, and sometimes one will outpace the other. Um, what the loss mitigation department is doing in this time period once you've submitted that completed short sale, which means you have a buyer on the hook. The buyer wants to close. They want to move. 
But they are going to be going through the packet. They're going to be asking for either appraisals or what's called a BPO, which is a broker price opinion. Um, They're going to be trying to establish what they think is an acceptable price. I think some of it, too, no one really talks about it. But I think some of that, too, is going to their investors and saying, can we take a $30,000 loss on this house? Because they have investors that most lenders have investors that they've got to um, report to and and rationalize their actions to. Um, So if, so they establish their range of, okay, here's about what we think it could sell for. Then they'll send an appraiser out. uh, And oftentimes then they will come back and they'll say, eh, we can't take that, but we could take this. Uh, And I've had that before. I had some clients. This one only took about two months of course, the, the, my buyer was pregnant at the time, so she had the baby and slept on a couch for about a month while we were waiting for the house to close. Um, but yeah, we had offered 200 I think it was listed for 225 It was probably worth, it was worth more than that. It was a pretty good deal. I think they ended up selling it about four years four years later for $250, $260. Um, but we had offered 200 and the seller says, fine, because the seller doesn't care. Right. They could seller could say okay to a hundred thousand. I just need to get an offer on the table in front of the lender to start the short sale process. Um, the the lender came back after a couple of appraisals and said um, we went two hundred five. All right. Yeah, I know. Really? Yeah, I know. I know. Really? They can't see my face, but yeah. really, five more thousand. Okay. Yeah. Luckily, my buyers are like, all right, that's fine. You know, because they knew they were still getting a deal. But sometimes they'll come back and say, you know, we need two thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, deals off. That's when, if you're smart, you can swoop in, right? Uh, once they've gone through that process and said, here's what we will take, but they won't do any of that until you have an offer on the table. Sometimes I think that there should be like a fake offer. Could you fake an offer just to get the ball rolling and then say, because we'll see that. And that's a great short sale opportunity, I think, because the ones I've bought have been like that too. The letters already said, this is what we'll take. Okay, now everything's transparent. Oh, we know that you'll take that. All right, fine. Let me go find a buyer who will pay that. And then mm-hmm. it's usually just the normal timing at that point because they've got it in writing on what they'll accept. Um, so that's why it takes so long um, because then at some point they're going to ask for updated financials from the seller um, and go through that process as well. Certainly, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about tax implications and some things like that, uh, too, because those are things that sellers definitely need to think of. But that's the general process. Seems really complicated. It does and it doesn't. But I think that if someone's definitely interested in pursuing that route to sell their home or purchasing one, as long as they have the information up front and know what to prepare themselves for, I mean... It can be a great. It, it can, can be, be a great opportunity. Now, you know the ones that I've I've bought have been investment properties. So again, it's not me sleeping on a couch or needing to find a place to go. And a lot of times, that's why these short sales do sit. I think people see, oh, it's a short sale. Well, you know, I've heard those take a really long time. I don't have that kind of time. And so um, that's one of the reasons why. You know, when, it, when a property is advertised as a short sale, it can sit on the market for quite some time. But again, buyers, you know, best case scenario, when you see something that's a short sale, start asking the questions. Demand to understand. We haven't done that in a while. Need some T-shirts. Demand to understand. What's the status? So has it had an offer before? Uh, has the short sale been approved? Has... Um, 
you guys are like throwing me off because they're giggling at me. <laughs> I was in the middle of a very dramatic speech. Um, has the short sale been approved? Has the, the seller been approved? Ask those questions up front and see what you can find out because that can go a long way to helping you determine how long it's going to take um, to uh, do the short sale. We're going to talk when we come back a little bit about when there's more than one mortgage. Before we do that, let me just touch briefly on as, you're, as a seller, one thing you want to make sure that you f- find out before you agree to a short sale is, are you going to be on the hook for the difference? Uh, it's true your lender can sue you for the shortfall, even if they approve a short sale. The short sale just means that they'll accept closing and tra- allow you to transfer title without paying off the mortgage, but they can come back after the fact and sue you. There are some uh, legal um, uh, legislative actions that have passed and have been extended. There was passed the Mortgage Forgiveness Act of 2007, um, which says that you don't have to, that the lenders don't hold you accountable for that deficiency. Uh, the other thing that that act uh, says is that you don't have to pay taxes on it. Um, that was a big thing as well. If debt that is forgiven can be taxable income, that act has been extended through 2016. That's the National Association of Realtors at work for you, making sure that uh, some laws like that that uh, help home buyers, uh, homeowners get through tough times. Um, so, but ask that question and try and get that in writing that you don't owe the difference or the deficiency and that you won't owe taxes on it as well. Those are two really, really important things for sellers. Let's go to our final break and come back and talk about a few more things with short sales. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You 
You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today, Deal or Disaster. We're talking specifically about short sales uh, and what the opportunities are there and what the downfalls are. So we just went through kind of what the steps are for a short sale, and there's a lot to it. So I think that people can see why it does take a long time because there's a lot of people involved having to make decisions, and as I like to say, overly simplified no lender is in a hurry to approve the loss of money. I mean, would you be? No. 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 I think it's a fair statement. But here's another reason why short sales can take a long time, too. And that is that in a lot of situations, there is more than um, one mortgage. There's a second mortgage, there's a home equity line, or there are some judgments. Those are all things that can, quote unquote, attach to the home and have to be satisfied in order to have what's called clear title and be able to transfer the property. So what happens now is that you're not just involving the primary mortgage holder, you're involving all these other people and asking them to lose money as well. So the example I said I was going to talk about uh, is I was I listed this house. It was a divorce. Uh, a couple was divorcing. Um, they had only owned the house for about a year. They had done a lot of improvements to it, but there were things that needed to be done. So they weren't really adding value necessarily. They were just... You know, stabilizing the structure um and we got in well let's see it's a really long story that i don't think we have time for because it involves someone dying in a corner and all kinds of stuff so i'll have to tell that at another time but basically there was an offer we listed the property for short sale eventually and we got an offer on the property and that was in august of a a given year, several years ago. And we went ahead and let the buyer move in because she needed a place to live and we were trying to hold on to her because the place was vacant. The the husband had passed away. The wife was in Texas. Let's let her move in. Everybody was cool with that. It took until April to get approval on the short sale. Oh, wow. August to April. And part of that was because there was a second mortgage on it. So they had to go back to that second mortgage holder and say, hey, I know that you are owed $30,000. Will you take three? Because typically they'll offer you about 10% of what you owe. And they're not in a huge hurry to do that either. And again, this is another instance. I should, li- I should write all of these out. Why The times when it's illogical. Because I, I know of another situation. It was a big warehouse that I had listed years ago. And there was a, a, sh- it was a short sale listed as a short sale. Well, there was a second. Because the gentleman who bought the property, uh, he bought it off a guy who carried back some of the mortgage. So he kind of had $100,000 private kind of second mortgage going on with this guy in addition to what he owed his lender. And that guy who, you know, just individual who had owed $100,000 on it, he wasn't in any hurry. And we kept saying, okay, you're going to get zero. If the property is foreclosed on, you get zero. Um, If it goes all the way through that, then the mortgage company will get the property. But anybody who has a second mortgage, a home equity line, judgments attached to the property, any of these other what we call subordinate liens, they get nothing. So why would you not take $10,000 instead of nothing? Well, because at this point, they're just pissed off. 
Hmm. That they're, you know, got not getting their entire 100000 I don't know. I don't know any of the rationale. But so that happens too. You'd think they'd be like, well, okay, I guess 3000 is better than nothing. You would think. Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they're not in that much of a hurry. So uh, that takes a really long time to kind of hunt down. And then, you know, what I just had happened to me a couple weeks ago uh, was that, and this wasn't a short sale, but it could have been a short sale, is that. They went, we thought we knew everything, all the mortgage holders. It was actually a foreclosure, but uh, when we got down to a couple of days before closing, realized that every that there were a lot more liens and judgments that hadn't been cleared off. And so we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and try and figure that one out. So as a buyer, you kind of need to be aware that, A, you assume all the liens and judgments and pay them off yourself. That's not a great idea. Or... You just accept that it's going to take a really, really long time. So in this situation I was telling you about, the story I was telling you about, where we got the offer in August, we got acceptance in April from the lender. I had an attorney involved in it too. And about three days after the offer was accepted, that buyer's realtor called me and said, well, she just lost her job. Oh, my gosh. So at that point, yeah, everything had been approved. So that's when I was like, screw it. I had stronger language at that point. I had been working on this deal for a year and a half. I said, I'm just going to buy it because I just, I can't even, I don't even know what to do. I was so frustrated. So I bought it. It's a great house. I love it. Um, But yeah, that's kind of a worst case scenario. I think that it can take that long. But like I said, I've given you examples too, where I've seen that we've, I had another one in Owen County, the next county over that, um, was a divorce situation. We had an attorney involved in that as well. Brought two offers, two offers submitted to the bank. They just never responded. Nothing. I would call the attorney like every week and uh, he's just like, I have nothing, I have nothing. They eventually foreclosed on her. I had ready, willing, and able buyers. I can't explain it. That's interesting. Yeah. So they take a while. You have to have a lot of patience. There's an article that I think Rachel's going to post through the About Money website that talks about um, short sales. And it's written by a woman named Elizabeth Weintraub. And the last paragraph just made me laugh, so I have to read it to you. Uh, It says, short sale agents can show the bank the direction their local markets are moving if home values are falling and might make sense to accept an offer this month over next year. Get moving, for example. But for the most part, banks are not interested in the opinion of a local real estate agent. Their negotiators are not looking down the road at the future. They are looking at what they can do today. Today, they will approve or reject your short sale or else go on vacation. <laughs> I had to read that because I thought that was really funny. But uh, that, yeah, that's certainly one of the, and you know, in my world, in the real estate world, it's one of my biggest frustrations because I know that going in and I know that the buyers or the sellers are going to ask me questions that I can't answer because I can't explain what seems to be really illogical mm-hmm. to us. It's just the way that they function. A um, couple other things I want to mention before we wrap up here. Uh, one thing for a buyer to be really aware of and to think about is the house may look really nice, but if the short sale is approved, it means that the sellers are in financial distress. And if you are in financial distress, Karen, are you getting your furnace serviced every, every uh, year? Probably not. Probably not. If there's a roof leak, are you dealing with it? With a bucket, maybe? Maybe with a bucket or some tar or something. Expect that there are going to be some condition issues. I had a client years ago try to buy a house um, 
And it was a crazy, all the stories are crazy, I guess. But the sellers had moved out of town, left it to the listing agent to take care of the house over the winter. Listing agent unfortunately passed away. So the propane tank got emptied out and all the pipes burst in the house. So by the time we got the lender to approve the loan, then we started in on our inspections and realized we couldn't get the house financed because um, there, all the pipes were burst and the sellers don't have any money to make those repairs. So you have to assume that the home hadn't been maintained very well, probably just due to financial distress, but also the fact that if um, if there are issues that come up from an inspection, that they probably don't have the money to deal with those either. So a little bit of a buyer beware on that, too. There was another story I found in my research that was talking about the time period between when they initially saw the house and when the bank accepted. And there was a leaky fridge that developed in that time period. So when they went through right before closing, they realized that the house was in horrible condition that it hadn't been in before. So next week, we are going to talk about foreclosures, uh, the other side of distressed properties. And is that a deal or is that a potential disaster? And what you need to know to protect ourselves should be a good show. I've bought a lot of foreclosures in my lifetime. So I have some good horror stories to tell as well as some stories about good deals. If you have any questions about any of that, don't hesitate to contact me. Uh, Check me out on Facebook. We will be back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Karen, have a great week. You too. We'll talk at you soon. This is Deb Tomorrow, Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb Tomorrow, for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets.